Now you are live. Okay. Okay. Behave yourself. Ooh. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going for it. Who, who goes me second? Me, mamo, me, mamo. Me, 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 me. You guys, who goes second? Oh, uh, Miro. This time. Okay. Alrighty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Movie Club. I'm Davinia. And I'm Miro. What up? I'm Kyle. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and yeah. today we will be talking about There Will Be Blood, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It was released in 2007. And well, oh, well, the movie is set in the 1900s and follows a man willing to do anything to expand his soil mining business. It's a story about power, greed, blood, in family relationships, as well as in violence. Wow. Blah. Soil mining? Is that what you said, though? Oil. 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 I also yeah, heard soil. It's soil. It's like you said soil mining. <laughs> soil mining, yeah. Oil mining. And we only, you only mine for minerals. Yes, drilling for oil. But Sorry. at the beginning of the movie, they're, uh, I think it's silver, what they're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, right at the he's beginning? looking for silver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so. he, you know, jumps into the oil train. Mm-hmm. So I would say he was a, definitely a bastard, right? Yeah, well, uh, he's yeah. an oil man. And so... Yeah. He likes know, to he, consider himself an, an oil man. And I consider him that way as well. He definitely was. <laughs> and that's part of it, swindling mm-hmm. people. And he's a businessman, so he wants to get the best deal for himself. He's not completely a bastard. There are bright spots, I think, within him that you can see throughout the film. But ultimately, his kind of greed and envy and lust for power consumes him by the end completely Mm -hmm. to the point that he's left alone, especially after he's made his huge success. He seemingly doesn't know what to do with himself anymore. And I think that's the end of the film. Yeah. And he even says, if I sell this, because one of the uh, one of the large oil companies that he's competing with wants to buy it from him for a million dollars or something. And he says, well, what will I do then? You know, so he likes to be out on the hunt and swindling and getting the deal and getting the land and, and doing all that. He likes to be that guy. Yeah. Being more powerful and successful than Yeah, than coming other on people. top. Yeah. But at the same time, he's quite sweet with the little girl who lives at that homestead. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of makes it clear that from abuse. the father's not to beat her anymore. He is a bastard, but I find him thoroughly likable <laughs> throughout most really, of the film. Yeah, yeah really um, enough. I think there's definitely moments where you see it. It's more complex than he's just like a cartoonish villain who's taking people's land. He pays them. And like he says, they don't have what it takes to bring in the people to get the oil. He does. And if they don't make a good deal for themselves, like that's their problem. Mm-hmm. He gives them what he says he'll give them. And they're free to negotiate about it. Someone doesn't say, oh, I'm not going to give you my land. And he goes and kills them or something. But did he give them what he promised? He didn't give the, the church the money that he promised. As I interpret that, that's something that Eli thinks he's owed, but isn't really owed. And that's why he beats him immediately when he starts asking for more money. That's why then Eli goes back and tells his father, you're a stupid idiot for making that deal. He's trying to save. He thought that there was going to be that much money or he thought they made a certain deal, but the father obviously signed a contract for something different. Daniel just starts beating him and is like, if you don't even try this with me, the deal's done. I have your land. Don't even try it. Hmm. Yeah. I think everything he did was above board. Well, above board, but a little bit slimy sometimes. Well, yeah, but what's he going to do? Oh, I'm going to give you half of the profits I make. Come on. You don't get to the top of oil or any other industry being that way, sadly, but that's just the way it is. 
He tells the town, we're going to build a school here. We're going to have food growing here. And so he does add a lot of value to those people's lives and things like that. Mm -hmm. And to the land itself. That speech to the town where he promises those things by Daniel Day-Lewis that was improvised. Mm. Wow. The guy's a brilliant actor. He did a lot of work for this character. He used oral histories from the time period to create plain views, distinctive voice that we hear in the movie. Mm. Damn. And he's a method actor as well, which I find very annoying, but <laughs> he's probably the most tolerable that I can think of. Method acting, for anyone that doesn't know, he actually gets into character. And even Everywhere. during filming and between breaks, he's Daniel Plainview. He never mm-hmm. is Daniel Day-Lewis on set. Mm-hmm. He's always Daniel Plainview. So if you go talk to him in his trailer, it's Daniel Plainview that you're talking to, not Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he worked on this character for three years. Mm-hmm. Perfected wow. before He's they... retired from acting now. I think he officially retired and won't make any more films. Well, he must have a lot of money because as of 2012, <laughs> it had 76 million worldwide gross profit. M- more than twice the budget. The most profitable film by Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, interesting. My impression of him is that he's a true artist and that the money's not what's important to him. You mean director or the actor? The actor. And uh, he seems to me like the kind of guy who would almost do something for free if he thought that the role was interesting to him. I think the reason that he retired is that, like you said, he prepared for this for three years. I think it's an exhausting type of work. And I think that he had just accomplished in acting what he wanted to accomplish. That's how I perceive it. I don't think it's like, oh, he made money. Now he's out. I think he would do a movie for nothing. He's not one of those celebrities. You never see him anywhere. He's never in any gossip. He doesn't tweet. He is a very private person. I think the method acting thing really gets to him. You think of like Heath Ledger and the Joker or whatever, (laughs) getting into these roles, these dark roles. And if you really try to become this character for three years, because that's what method acting is, like actually being the character and never turning it off, that could be quite exhausting, I suppose. And I think unnecessary. Yeah, I, I mean, a, yeah, it's a strange. Uh, thing, Maybe but. it's a gimmick for the actors to be interesting, to mm. pre- not pretend, but to show that there is a lot of work behind it. It's just a philosophy of acting. Jared Leto is a method actor, right? So when he was playing the Joker in Suicide Squad, he was always acting like the Joker and playing pranks on people and stuff. And it's really cringy. But there's something different about Daniel Day-Lewis. I think he really does the method. I think someone like Jared Leto, it's like a publicity type thing. I think he's trying to be cool. He's trying to be like a Daniel Day-Lewis. I think Daniel Day-Lewis is the real deal. And it's a valid method of acting. It's an old method of acting. I think it's an interesting exercise to do, no matter what, as an actor. If I was an actress, probably I wouldn't do it on a regular. But if I found a role to be really interesting or different from what I'm used to, it'd be interesting to like try it out. It's just one style of doing it, but I don't think it's like, oh, I'm going to experiment with this. It's like how you've learned to act. Okay, enough about the method acting stuff. I would like to talk about the the scene with his quote-unquote brother, who we later learn that he's just impersonated his brother, his real brother. He has like a conversation with him at some point in front of a uh, fire, I believe. And he's talking about him hating people, and that's why he wants to have money so he can get as far away as possible from people. What do you guys thought of that conversation with them? And then he had butlers? Come on. Well, in such a big house, you need them almost. I think that's probably one of the most important monologues in the film, where he's really describing his whole character to you. When this brother shows up, we're wondering, and he's wondering, is this guy just trying to take me for a ride here and get some money? 
But it's interesting that he ends up being so trusting of him. And I think that adds to his later downfall because he did open up and trust this guy as like a brother, as a real blood relative. He even invited him to business deals. And he says, are you an envious man? And the guy's like, no, uh, I don't care at all. And that's not what he was getting at. He was wondering, are you like me? And he's saying, I don't want anyone to have success but me. And that's the most important thing to him is coming out on top of everybody else and being the one who wins no matter what. And yeah, we see the end result of that. And that's when I would take back her point of like, is he really an asshole or not? At the end of the day, kind of yes, but he's also more of an introspective person. So why, if he has such a great introspective, why did he, I mean, he, we obviously see some love for his son. It was actually even made differently originally, the movie. He often said to his son, he loves him. In this cut of the movie that we see, I think he says only once that he loves him. So what happened? I was kind of surprised that he hated him so much. And the only thing that I can assign it to is that he lost hearing and somehow he lost use for him. You're making this point to reference that Daniel is an asshole. And to me, he doesn't have anything to do with it. Like he's just a complicated man. And he knows that he's also human. By knowing himself and all of that, that doesn't take away from him making mistakes. He'll make them. I think he's absolutely devastated and heartbroken that his son is leaving him and starting his own company and that he's going to be completely alone now. So he manifests as hate and pushing him away, right? Yeah. He wants Mm -hmm. to be alone, but he doesn't. He wants love. He wants closeness. He wants blood relationship. He wants someone who understands him too, someone who's like him. Also, he's like a horrible drunk by that point. I think it's clear that the son is still useful because... He makes some kind of comment, now you're my competitor. I don't think he really means like, oh, now I just see you as a competitor. It's a son rising up against the father in a way. He's saying, father, I have to leave home. I have to go out and make my own way in life. And it's a rejection of that. In some sense, you could also say he, maybe he forces him out for his own good. He didn't even bother to learn sign language for his son. I know, it's, that's terrible. That was the thing that made me suspicious about his love for him in general. Not learning the sign language is one of the, worst things but it shows you that there's a distance between them now that there wasn't when they were out hunting quail together and working in perfect tandem so even i think though they were working throughout their adult life i do think the weakness of his son and perceived weakness and weakness of himself to bring him to his son's level to have to Mm -hmm. learn something to communicate with his son he doesn't want to have to change or do anything or learn something or adapt to anything everything should adapt around him Hmm. yep the kid, HW, the adult one, and mm-hmm. the end of the conversation was actually a deaf actor. Yeah, sure. So it was well done into the detail. And the music. Let's talk about the music, mm. which you mm-hmm. mentioned, Kyle. There is a horror effect there, and I noticed it as well. When he was mm-hmm. killing his quote-unquote brother. Sure. Even with just shots of the fields and landscapes and stuff have ominous music over them most of the time. When they're unpacking the dynamite, that's another one where they use that kind of sound in the background. There's a lot of scary, not quote-unquote scary or tense music over shots where it wouldn't necessarily need to be or you wouldn't necessarily think of doing that music. I do kind of see it as like a horror film myself. Oh, wow. I mean, I know for you it has to have a monster to be a horror film. Not the monster. It had to be something to be scared of. This is the horrors of the human condition. Okay. Well, I would say story of human conditions. It can't happen to everyone. Why can't it be horror? 
I don't know, Kyle. I know we disagree on what is horror. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting things to think about in regards to it being like a horror film. If you compare the music and cues and shots to something like The Witch, for example, there's a lot of similarities there. The way that mm. it's framed and shot and that is true. music over long shots of landscapes and buildings. What do you think about the Church of the Third Revelation, the My fanatical gosh. and cult-like organization? That part was horror-like to me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, It was um, crazy. I did not like any of it. Neither Eli, did Daniel. Yeah, neither did Daniel. Yeah, Eli... <laughs> was a maniac. You remember that scene when he was baptized by the blood? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Of yeah. the church of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Gets he a few was... slaps in in revenge. <laughs> he gets a few slaps in. And Daniel has comments in there mm-hmm. while they are doing it to him. Say it. Say it. Abandon my child. Say it louder. Say it louder. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. Beg for the blood! Just give me the blood, Eli. Let me get out of here. Give me the blood, Lord! And let me get away! Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Get out of here, devil! Out, devil! Out, sin! Do you you accept the church of the third revelation as your spiritual guide? Get out of here! Get out of here! Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, I do. Oh, God, please let me see you so I can get out of here. What a good actor, though, because you can see the genuine pain when he's saying, I abandoned my son, when he's making him say, I abandoned my son. You can, that's, yeah. that's real. You know, it does affect that's him. Real, yeah. And I think that stays with him for the rest of the film and his life, admitting that and really saying it with conviction. But then he was back to his sarcastic self. Yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. Yeah. His defenses went back up. But that was a moment of truth for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The same as at the end when he reverses the situation again on Eli and makes him say that he's a false prophet and that God is a superstition. Oh, that scene is one of my favorite scenes ever now. Yeah. I agree. It's masterpiece. He strung him along. Eli mm-hmm. comes to him. Later, we learned in the conversation that he's down on money, so he needs Mm -hmm. another drilling operation. He's hoping that he can make a deal for this land that's been talked about in the film before. And he even says that God does this, does mysterious things with investments, and that's why he lost them. Poor guy. So I think that was the reflection of that moment when he was screaming, Daniel was screaming on his baptism, he abandoned his son, and he made him scream that he's a false prophet. Yeah. Exactly. And that yeah. kind of also, he first said it like, yeah, I'm false prophet. And then mm-hmm. he made the same, basically, like, yeah, say it loud, loud, come on, yep. say it. Mm-hmm. And then it slowly got to him as well. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm false prophet. Having to say it out loud, you realize it's true. Like, they're both power hungry. They're both, mm-hmm. um, they have issues. Definitely. <laughs> don't understand where, the, yeah. where Eli uh, got that they were old friends. Where from? Oh, I mean, well, they hated each other means, always. Yeah, but he's just... <laughs> schmucking around with him there yeah. like well he deserved it. i think it was a very satisfying death of eli he i think he deserved it but what did oh. you dislike about him so much because he knew he's lying he was mm-hmm. not really this fanatical yeah. believer and those scenes where he was he quote unquote healing his yeah. flock oh i i was this charlatan and he knew yeah, but he's great though mm-hmm. the actor's great, of course yes oh, okay God, yes yeah. of course great actor 
and he acted it so well that I hated him. It's his own industry. It's his own smoke and mirrors. It's his yeah. own mm-hmm. promise to people. He's trying to make his own way, just like Daniel. I mean, Daniel definitely sees him as a competitor, at least in terms of trying to be a success. I don't know if he deserved to be beaten to death, but because he never really did anything like that. Well, he lied to every person there and he cured uh, arthritis. Come on. Okay, sure. But in this little town, to these people out there, it's giving them something. It's a role that needs to be filled by someone. And he sees it as a way out of his situation that he's in. So I think that's why they hate each other, mm-hmm. or at least why Daniel hates him. I think he sees the similarities between them. I loved how he explained with milkshake how yeah. he actually already drained the oil from all the lands. So childish, <laughs> just to be the better guy, just to be the one who is smarter and came out a little bit on top. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is, that's a straw, you see. Watch it. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Don't bully me, Daniel. I mean, the whole thing is just so good. Everything they say to each other is just absolutely amazing. That whole final scene, that's just one of those like perfect ending. And you just say, mm-hmm. wow, like this guy. Did you find any trivia around Paul Dano? He got the role in a strange way. And then he ended up, I think maybe he wasn't even supposed to be both of the brothers. Paul Dano was not supposed to be such a big character. He had originally been cast in the much smaller role as Paul Sunday, Eli's brother. And another actor had been cast as Eli. Ah, there you go. Paul Thomas Anderson decided to replace the actor playing Eli. Anderson then asked Dana to play Eli Sunday, his much bigger role, as well as Paul Sunday. And they decided to change the film to make the brothers identical twins. Good choice. So are we ready to render judgment? Yes. I believe so. For me, it's a solid eight. Amazing performances, amazing themes, amazing sights to see. All around a great recommendation. Nature was nice. Yeah. I will say this will be also an eight for me. Maybe I would not watch it again. Maybe later. I would watch it not immediately, but maybe later in life I will watch it again and enjoy it once more. Because it was so long and you can't probably remember every single nuance there. So I think I will forget and then enjoy it again. Also, it's that kind of movie that's a slow burn. So I think it's good to let some time pass on before you do another rewind. The decay was gradual and constant <laughs> of Daniel, his yeah. persona. First mining alone for silver or whatever was that. And then small oil operation and then larger and larger and larger. For me, I give this one a 9 out of 10. It's nearly a perfect film, I would say. It has the literary weight of something like a Herman Melville or a Cormac McCarthy novel. I wouldn't even say it's one of my favorite movies, but it's just absolutely fantastically made, acted, scripted, filmed, everything. This is one of the highest ratings you ever gave on podcast. It's a really, really, really great example of filmmaking. And it has a classic filmmaking feel to it that is lacking in a lot of recent cinema. I don't give a lot of nines out. No, you don't. No. And (laughs) when it finally comes, it's a shock. And that's the end of our episode. You just heard our review of the movie There Will Be Blood. Our average rating for this movie is astonishing 8.3 out of 10. Did you like this super long movie? 
the actors and the story, tell us on Twitter at movieclub underscore pod. We would be happy if you would rate us as well on your favorite podcast platform, where you can also find more movie reviews by Movie Club. You can even join Movie Club and support us by visiting our Patreon page and subscribing to one of our membership tiers. The link will be in the description of this episode. Next week, we'll be talking about The Babadook. Don't forget to check it out. Bye for now. Bye for now.